Shalo! Welcome to Fat Mermaids Make Waves, a podcast by the Society of Fat Mermaids. I'm your host, Mermaid Shay Monique, founder of the Society of Fat Mermaids. Join me as we chat with fabulous fat folks making waves and doing fantastic and interesting things. We will learn about body positivity and fat liberation, and we will occasionally chat to folks such as tail makers who make life easier for fat merfolk. Let's dive right on into this week's episode. Shalo! Welcome to Fat Mermaids Make Waves, a podcast by the Society of Fat Mermaids. I am Shay Monique, and I am joined today by Talon Kell. I am so excited to talk to them today. Um, Talon is someone who I've just kind of admired online for years. Um, I have, <laughs> I think I saw like a really awesome cosplay you did and, you know, just started following you and being excited. Over the years, I've just discovered that this is like a very interesting and brilliant person. And so I'm very, very jazzed to have you with us today. Um, Structure-wise, I always like to read a little bit of something to help us put some, I don't know, like word, not words, like academic type thought behind um, what is fat acceptance, what is fat liberation, fat activism, and like the body positivity movement. Um, I feel like I am someone who kind of just jumped into the social media bubble of these movements, but I know there's a lot of work that happened in the background before, possibly some of it even before I was even born. And I want to um, give us all the opportunity to learn about this stuff in a deeper way. So today I have Fat Girls in Black Bodies, Creating Communities of Our Own by Joy Arlene Renee Cox. who has the Fresh Out of the Cocoon podcast, which is a podcast that features basically fat Black women, I believe, um, almost exclusively. Um, And so this is a really cool book. If you happen to be a fat girl in a Black body, um, this is the type of book that when you read it, you're just like, oh, I'm not out here by myself. Like, it's just, I don't know that a lot of what I've read in this book is revolutionary, but it just feels good to have somebody like put in a book your lived experience. So I'm going to read just a little chunk um, from page 87, just talking about BMI and how the history of BMI and how it came into medical practice is it wasn't really designed to be a diagnostic tool in the first place. It's racist. um, And it just has become a tool to discriminate against folks. And so I'm gonna read just a little chunk about that. I'm going to highly recommend this book by Joy and then we'll get into the conversation with Talon. So it says, the treatment that fat bodies endure in examination rooms across the country is daunting. The labor exerted by those who live in fat bodies along with the intersections of other identities is exhausting. I know this because I live this. Friendly, bigoted doctors smile in my face, experts in communication and attempt to reframe weight loss because they cannot come to grips that a fat black girl is comfortable in her own skin. They look at me, tell me my numbers are good and I have nothing to worry about. However, I could have something to worry about in the future based on their idea that fat causes sickness. I say this last point because their argument has no basis looking at my numbers. 
What they are referring to are the studies that exaggerate black fatness and sickness. So that's just our little like academic moment for the day. <laughs> Check out this book. It's awesome. You might end up, you know, reading my name in it too. So that's like always a bonus. <laughs> so. Yeah. so it's funny that you, you chose that passage. I work in public health. Oh, um, awesome. <laughs> and my background and it's a recent background is in public health and it started my journey with that started about 10 11 years ago when i decided that i was going to change careers and get my mph because prior to that and it was a toxic way to even get started in this i was mm -hmm. a weight watchers disciple and okay. I had gotten totally into it. I dropped like 50 pounds or so and was doing all of this fitness stuff and had things that happened during that process that were setbacks so that I, I couldn't wrap my head around and didn't make sense to me. Um, okay. The first thing that I realized is that if I was going to be on this weight loss train, that I would have to be active constantly and monitoring my food constantly okay. and i did that for a couple of years it was terrible like but you you condition yourself because everyone rewards you for it everyone right. tells you how good you're doing i would come into the office limping part unable to move parts of my body because i overexerted myself over the weekend mm -hmm. or something and people would be like well look at you you're sticking to it great job and i'm like i can't right. lift my arm <laughs> like I'm having trouble walking to the bathroom right now. How is this good? Liberating my body. Right. <laughs> but people would constantly reinforce it. Even though you're in pain, even though you are going to the doctor and getting steroid shots and all kinds of treatments done because you're actively destroying parts of your body, you're still doing a good thing and doing the right thing. So it's, it was, but I knew like if I wanted to keep it up, I had to keep doing this. And finally something clicked in my, well, what happened was I got sick. I got, I had a pulmonary embolism um, from the birth control I was on and I collapsed on vacation. It was in the hospital for a week because oh, I wow. almost died. And while I was in the hospital, the, I had, you know, been eating mostly like not vegetarian, but a lot of leafy greens all the time. And the treatment for a pulmonary embolism is blood thinners. Leafy greens have vitamin K, which, uh, pr which, contribute to clotting, it helps your blood clot. And okay. if you're on blood thinners, you can't take, you can't eat a lot of vitamin K because your blood has to be thin to a certain amount. Okay. And so it becomes this weird balancing act of how many vegetables can I eat today and still have my blood thin enough so that I don't have to worry about forming more clots. And if you don't, like if you have, if your blood is too thin, you can bleed to death from cutting yourself or bumping into a wall and you wouldn't even know. So it's a really delicate thing. Mm -hmm. And they recommend that you just cut back on them. Don't eat them. Okay. So I'm in the hospital. I'm like, most of my diet is leafy greens. If I cut back on them, I'm not going to lose. I'm not going to be able to maintain my weight loss and I will stop losing weight. And they were like, or you could die. And I, and I was weighing that. I was like, well, right but i want it i want to maintain <laughs> and they're like okay but you could die like we're telling you how not to definitely right. die at this point you need to stop this to change you know to fix what's going on to take care of yourself and the fact that i was rationalizing that and mm -hmm. trying to figure out how i could work around their guidance while i was in the icu <laughs> wow. Wow. that was one of those i didn't wake up at that moment but 
it took another like six months or so before I was really starting to process how my thinking had been so warped that mm-hmm. I was prioritizing this this aesthetic basically over being alive. Wow. So yeah, it was not a great moment. <laughs> but life changing. Yeah. The moment that I guess helped to get you to where you are now. So like what finally made you go, this isn't working for me? Um, it still took years, honestly. Uh it was a lot of it was just really having to figure out what the motivations for me were behind all of it. And also realizing that there were some health things, like people tell you, so I have high blood pressure, right? Okay. Um, I was diagnosed with it when I was 28 and I'm like 45 now. So it's been a long time. <laughs> and um, I, the Weight Watchers thing was, was actually prompted by that. I was okay. like, I need to get my blood pressure under control. I need to change my diet. I need to change my, my eating habits, my walking, my physical activity. And I went to an extreme with it because I was seeing results and I wanted to accelerate the results. Um, even though I was still being, you know, watching what I was eating and being active, my blood pressure went down for a while and then it started climbing again. And we couldn't make sense of it because I was in the best shape of my life. How was it that, you know, I came off the medication for a short period of time, like about a year, year and a half. And then I had to go back on it because my blood pressure would not stay regulated. It wouldn't stay low. And my doctor was like, you know, sometimes, you know, it could be genetics. And but I've come to the conclusion it's stress and um, and it possibly is also genetic, but. I think mainly it's stress, <laughs> okay. which exacerbates all of the many, many physical right. conditions. Right. Um, and I had to go back on medication and I couldn't make sense. I couldn't reconcile that because everyone said, if you lose weight and change right. all of this, your blood pressure will improve. And mine did temporarily. And it wasn't my fault. And once you see like these weird things happen where all the everything everybody's telling you is one thing, but you're having a very different experience. Right. It makes you start questioning everything else that you've been told and conditioned to think. And so that it, so it was multiple things happening that made me realize what you're doing for yourself to yourself isn't great. In fact, it's bad for you. It was when I would exercise, even though I was hurting. It was mm-hmm. when I would um, deliberately undereat and almost pass out. And it, in my mind, it was still a good thing. It was regardless of how hard I worked out. Um, if somebody saw me eating anything, they still felt like I was that they could comment on it, and I was somehow doing something harmful to myself. And I was like, so all this stuff I'm getting, this feedback I'm getting from the people around me is, is one, it's contradictory. Two, it's not even taking my personal experience into account. It's not in my best interest. And yet I'm getting all this judgment. And it's from people who, why should I even care? Like, who are you? (laughs) I read something today. It was a meme. It was attributed to Morgan Freeman, but I don't know if he actually said it, but it was like, you know, don't take criticism from someone you wouldn't take advice from, you know? And it's like, That's really powerful, though. Because yeah, yeah. Well, because we do. We listen to people, and it was like, why, why is their approval of my body required for me to feel good about myself? Right. Why does that matter? And right. once I started really interrogating that, 
and also accepting it doesn't matter, so I just need to do what I need to do for me, then I was able to say, you know, sitting up here and tearing up my knees so that I can be smaller because I feel like I should run or I want to prove to people that fat people can run and yet I'm in pain and I'm sitting up here in an ice bath. Like, <laughs> and I'll tell you, it does help with inflammation, but it's horrible. It's a terrible experience. <laughs> Don't do it unless you have to. <laughs> but I'm, I'm suffering in all of these different ways just because I want people to look at me and smile. And then I was like, I don't, I don't really need their smiles. Like their smiles do not validate my experience. They don't valid, validate my life. So why am I stressing out about this? And, you know, that just became a new baseline for me. But it took years. Like okay. I'm not, it was not instant. We're talking about something that happened. Like I had the pulmonary embolism in 2018. No, no, 2010. So that's 11 years ago. And I'm still wrestling with some of the stuff that I was thinking and trying to work through to get to a point where I'm just like, you know what? You just got to, I don't care what y'all think. I don't care. I'm glad you said that because I feel like people always think, regardless of like what the situation is, people think in terms of like, befores and afters and it's like there's really never I feel like you're never fully free of whatever kind of builds you initially even if you get to tear it down and rebuild yourself in a better version like we particularly like if you're in like the U.S. you know like we can't just and I, I say this to people particularly like there's been all these conversations about race and it's like it's not just like you flip the switch and now you understand and you're not racist mm -hmm. and I say publicly all the time as a black woman, I have to come to grips with and work on dismantling my anti-blackness every day. It is just yes. so part of the culture. I have to unlearn, I have to call myself out. And the same thing goes for diet culture. The same thing okay. goes for almost anything. If you're kind of unlearning something that's so systemic and so oppressive, like it is an ongoing thing. It's not like there's this magic day where it's like, oh, now I've never had a thought about this again. because. <laughs> Where it's it's the larger culture is still gonna say you know well if you lost you know fifteen pounds mm -hmm. you know blah 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 and it's like I don't think you're ever fully free of it. You're not because the society that actually exemplifies all of those negative things is constantly reinforcing those negative things and it's it, they're creative. They come at you in so many different ways, you know, unconscious ways. Like the whole idea of you look at a picture, a magazine spread or who's been cast in a movie or whatever and none of them are fat nobody so this world of people who so they've created there are no fat people who exist in this world <laughs> that feeds your reality like you start, right. like thinking okay so there really aren't any fat warriors or there aren't any fat wakandans or there aren't any, like oh. and it does impact your thinking it tells you that you don't exist and so yeah, you're, you're constantly having these messages reinforced. And so you have to remind yourself, and that to me, this is what's called being a conscious consumer. When I watch things, I try to remind myself that this is, well, I look at what messaging it might be telling me that mm -hmm. I wouldn't necessarily pick up just by, you know, not thinking about it. You know, what is it reinforcing? What kind of behaviors is it telling me? What kind of society is it feeding me? If I read a book and it's talking about, you know, it's a science fiction book and it's talking about every continent except Africa, what, what is that book actually saying? Does Africa not exist in this universe? Like, how does that work?
Um, and you you kind of have to remind yourself of these things. Like right now, I, I saw Hamilton um, on Disney Plus a couple of weeks ago, and I've okay. been singing the songs and dancing from them all like for the past week and a half. And I, I'm like, this is a really good musical, but it's about one of the founding fathers of this exploitative, oppressive country. Right. I, I'm I have problems with the fact that I'm singing out, you know, this oh. colonizer's name. <laughs> Right, <laughs> these warmongers, and I'm singing about them and dancing. In I'm like, so I keep reminding myself, hey, you're enjoying it, and that's fine. But these are not your heroes, and they're not supposed to be. And don't try to make them your heroes. So it, it's a it's a constant dance. People think I have no joy, and I'm like, that's not true. But I am critical of what it is that I'm consuming yeah. because I know it is feeding me messages. It is propaganda, and once you embrace that part and start thinking about how it aligns with what it is that you want and how you see the world and how you want to see the world, you you are better about dismantling the the oppressive um, messages that are in it. Yeah, and I find that that like almost duality, it's is exhausting. It is, but it's necessary. Uh, I want to ask you. I want to go back. Would you oh. say like at, during your Weight Watchers time, do you think you had an eating disorder? Were you ever? Oh yeah. Eating disorder. Oh. Okay. Yeah. I just want to like. I don't know. I think it's sometimes important to like call things what they are. You know. Oh no, um, it was completely disordered eating. It was awful. So there were times where if I didn't have something that was so Weight Watchers went through this thing and they still keep evolving this this is how they keep getting better with They're their routine WW now right yeah <laughs> but they they went from a we're going to tell you what foods are good and bad to a point system and okay. that point system gamified it so it became this how can I get the things that I want but still manage to stay under these points and it became a challenge so I would have fun trying to mix and match stuff and put plug things in and see what would work or what ingredients I had to add to make it so that it was you know meet this point requirement like and that's a tactic. They know gamifying stuff will get people to interested and participate for longer. So I was doing that. But if I had something that it didn't fit and the points were going to throw my thing off, I would sit in my kitchen and cry and not eat wow. and just have like anxiety attacks. And, you know, I would I got one of those Fitbits, which is another type of gamification. Right of physical activity and diet culture. And I, I had the goal of hitting those 10,000 steps. And if I was at 9,000, I would walk around the living room until I hit 10,000. And that was like not something I would compromise on. And so I had these little triggers that had me engaging. It didn't matter if I was in pain, it didn't matter how tired I was, I had to meet these goals. And if I couldn't meet them, then I just would sit there and break down. That's terrible. Yeah. Yeah. I hated food for so long. I still have issues where I resent the fact that I need to eat. I find it an inconvenience. I think it's so frustrating. Um, but yeah, you, you have to kind of condition yourself out of that and let yourself know it's okay. Everyone needs to eat and you know, there's no shame in it and there's no shame in the things that you want to eat. Um, they're like, it's, but it's still really complicated because if I find myself doing something where all I'm craving is, you know, potato chips, then I'm mm -hmm. like, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with me where all I want is chips? How come? And sometimes I'll just be like, you know what, just eat the damn chips. And I'll eat them and just be like, okay, cool. And then one day I don't want chips no more. And it's right. fine. 
<laughs> I had to stop beating myself. The tips, the power. Yeah, uh, and you like, beat your like, Yeah. It's so yeah. I I and I still have instances. It's a lot less often where I have the disordered eating stuff really start to resurface when I'm worried about it or anything. But I don't I don't break down and cry about food anymore. <laughs> so that's well, that good. is wonderful. Yes, yes, yes. Um. Okay. So now I'm gonna fast forward us a little bit. So you're talking about just all these different spaces where, yeah, often you don't see fat people, you don't see black people um, in terms of media re representation. And you are a brilliant cosplayer. Interestingly enough, I don't know a lot about cosplay, but I think costuming in general is cool. And so I'm like, that's awesome. So you get to talk to me like I barely even know what a con is. Um, and then um, obviously I'm a mermaid and a lot of the people listening to this are mermaids. And so we have this opportunity to bring different types of bodies into fantasy, which I think is very powerful. Um, what has your experience been um, and how long have you been a cosplayer as well? Before they were, it was really like a, a widespread thing. Um, so I, my first time I ever dressed up for a convention was 2006, I think. Okay. It's like 2005, 2006. It's a little fuzzy to me now because it's been so long. But mm -hmm. I didn't realize, I, well, I say I didn't realize, I did realize how much I was going to love it because a friend convinced me. We, I'm in Atlanta and Dragon Con is this huge comic and geek fan base convention that takes place here. And they convinced me to go down and hang out at the hotels where it takes place. And I was okay. watching people in costume just walk by. And I was like, wait, 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 wait. We can just dress up. <laughs> and they're like, yeah. I was like, not on Halloween. Like, we can just come down here during this weekend and be dressed up however we want. And it's like, that's kind of the point of part of it. Like, yes, you can come and dress up as whatever you want. And I was like, we are so doing this next year. We are doing this. Like, my best friend, I made her do it. She's not into any geek stuff, but okay. she likes my energy. So... Okay. <laughs> If I say we're gonna do this thing and come on, and she was like, she was on board. Like she painted herself in liquid latex her entire body because she was doing Mystique. Um, that that was a mistake, but <laughs> um, she still did that and right. was going out shopping and putting stuff together to put our costumes together. And even though she's not in, like she dressed up as Shira, and that's not anything she really cares about at all but okay. she wanted the experience and so that's really what it was it was this opportunity that I could dress up and have fun and for me being able to make my body into a piece of art is a lot of fun for me I enjoy the problem solving part of it I enjoy the the beauty of it and the creativity that's required it stretches my imagination and my abilities in different ways and I'm one of those people where I don't like learning how to do stuff I just like trying it and see what happens so okay. I won't follow a pattern I won't you know look at a YouTube video and do the step by step I will pick out the stuff I think I can do and maybe try that and see if that works. And when it fails, I might go back to the video. I might not and try and figure it out on my own. So being able to flex that creative muscle is a big part of it. And having myself embody it is also a big part of it because I like being seen. I like people looking at me. I didn't want to acknowledge that for a long time, but it's true. And yeah, so cosplay gets, lets me do all of that. 
that's super cool. Um, so how, like how big of a part of your life is cosplay? It's, it's huge. So I met my husband because I cosplay. Um, <laughs> we actually met at Dragon Con and then got engaged at Dragon Con. People were like, you're going to get married. No, we, no, it was, it was okay. I, I didn't want to get engaged to Dragon Con because now I feel like Dragon Con has to be a part of our lives and both of us are kind of like, okay, I'm a little tired of Dragon Con, <laughs> but it's, we can parse that out. Like that's, we can separate it, but no, it's, um, if I had, like he found a picture of me in costume online and then found like a, a dating profile for me and somebody was like okay. stalker. And I was like, no research. He researched me and then he found me and he met me. I love that. Like that to okay. me is important. Stalker is when you say go away and they don't go away. Right. right, right. <laughs> I feel like especially with the, how readily available information is in the modern era, that line can be kind of fine. But that, that huge line of go away and they don't listen is That's a very key indicator. But we are talking about 10 years ago. So yeah. It was different then than it is now. So even that online access is a little bit different. And the fact that yeah. he was able to kind of find me was really interesting because he found me on three different like dating websites. Okay. <laughs> and he he was like, I don't know which one's going to get to you. So he sent a message to all of them. Oh, and sweet. I thought it was sweet. Um, so yeah, like it, I made a lot of friends through cosplay. Um, a lot of my work that I've done, my essays and stuff have been about being at conventions and recognizing, because when I started going to conventions, they were popular among the, the geeks and nerds and so forth. And then it really started going mainstream. So you had a lot of people coming in who just wanted to gawk and then people who were like, oh, it would be easy to participate. And then you saw, and then social media was blowing up and people mm -hmm. were able to, you know, commodify aspects of this and it became a big money maker in a lot of ways. And then you saw people actively trying to make it into something like a job, um, a, a revenue source. And it, when that happened, you know, what happens with everything as it explodes, as it gets more noticed in a lot of the superficial aspects, I can't even call it superficial. The oppressive aspects of our society became more apparent in these spaces. And okay. so I, literally it went from one year I could have on a really basic, terrible version of a costume because I didn't know what I was doing and everyone loved it and to you know, two years later, no one caring because there was somebody not only in something that looked exactly like the comics, but they looked like the character. They were built like how they imagined the character and anything that didn't match up to that was not even worth noticing. And so you would see, like there was a real shift in who was getting noticed, who was getting attention and why they were getting that attention. And, you know, you had to reconcile different aspects, or at least I had to reconcile different aspects of it, because I was like, all right, is my goal to be seen? Is it to be social? Is it to dress up and have fun? Like, what, what is this that's really calling me? And um, I had to actually reassess and say, the attention from strangers is actually the lowest, the least, the lowest priority on my list. I like knowing I created something and it looks cool and I want to get pictures of it for myself so that I can look back at that time when I did this cool thing. Um, 
And so I stopped caring about trying to get other people to look at me. You still make friends. And I made a ton of friends. I have a lot of people in that community who I love hanging out with. I collaborate on things with them. But I stopped being worried about the, you know, having tons of people look at me and love me and say I'm great. Like, that is something that, one, is not that important to me. And two, comes with a lot of baggage. As you also, you probably know this, when you get a lot of people who see you, yes, there's some good, but there's a lot of negative. There's a lot of people who are like, how dare you decide that you should be seen? How dare you step into this space? How dare you think that you are attractive or interesting and anybody should pay attention to you? And they actively try to silence you and to make you invisible. They come gunning for you. And you, you made enemies by existing. Right. which is ridiculous, but it's a part of, unfortunately, this visibility. And right. I didn't really want that. So when I started publicly writing about a lot of like racism, sexism, sizeism, all of that stuff, and in relation to cosplay and fan spaces and geek spaces, I very specifically did not try to align with any of the popular cosplayers or any of the popular cosplay forums because the anti-blackness, the racism, size, all of that stuff, all of the oppressive stuff was so rampant that I did not want to have to manage that in addition to, you know, getting my voice out there. So I've been really conservative about that. And if purpose. I wanted to read your writing, where can I find it? Oh, um, I have a website, talonkel.com. Okay. Um, and all of my essays are on there. I package them into books for some people who are like not necessarily interested because I, <laughs> I have hundreds of essays, <laughs> hundreds. I wrote 90 my first year. Okay. Um, so it's a lot to weed through, um, but I've taken some of them especially from 2016 to 2017 and package them in um, books that they are available for Amazon for people if they want to see the ones that I think are speaking to very specific things in uh, fan culture. So if you want to talk about, I, I, I like to talk about anti-Blackness a lot because it is so such a big thing. Um, and I have a whole section that is about my personal experiences with anti-Blackness in fandom. So it's, but yes, I, if you go to my website, all of the essays are there. And I wanted to have that accessibility intentionally because I, they're educational in a way. Right. Um, they're dated a little bit now, but not really because the same cycles and the same systems are here. You just replace whatever, you know, made the main focus of the main per uh, person who that we're talking about in the same mechanics. So right. they're right. still relevant. Yeah. Very cool. I'm going to go read more. Maybe I'll end up like reading a blurb of you at the beginning of one of the podcasts. Um, you might. <laughs> I know. That's exciting. Um, okay. So you met your husband at DragonCon, coupled with like a whole bunch of like geeky internet finding you. Mm -hmm. um, I grew up basically being told that nobody would love me unless I lost 100 pounds. Um, and if someone did, um, mm, they were probably like not going to be like, the greatest person. Like if I wanted a good partner, I definitely needed to lose weight. Um, I got that, I guess, fairly directly um, from my household growing up. And then for me, um, as I became, you know, like a teenager and you start entering into like the dating world and in my early twenties, I kind of just, I don't know if my friends designated it. I don't think it was ever explicit, but I definitely just fell into that like 
fat friend, fat sidekick role. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, maybe my friend, you know, sees this hot guy and he's got like, you know, a friend that is not so interesting or exciting looking, but like, we'll both kind of take one for the team. That was a common thing in college and hang out with each other um, while our kind of like hotter friends like have their whatever. Um, What has your experience um, been and do you have any thoughts on dating, mating, loving um, in a fat body? Um, Oh, there's so much. Hmm? I said, do you identify as a woman? Yeah. I mean, the, the gender thing is something I'm, it's, it's so weird right now uh, because I didn't, we didn't have the language when I was young to even right. begin to explore this. But okay. I do remember being a teen and being like, I really think I might actually be asexual because I'm not attracted to none of y'all. Okay. Uh, <laughs> like none of y'all. But I also recognize I had to say I was attracted to something and it, my attraction is just weird, but it's okay. I'm good with it. Um, the messaging was really bad. So my mom was very, very thin when she got married and she gained weight over years as you do, you know, Mm -hmm. and she had five kids and her life was stressful and there was a lot going on. There's a whole bunch of, I mean, so much going on. And so, but my mom was very much ashamed to be seen. And my dad facilitated that because my dad had this idea of, you know, this is how you were supposed to carry yourself and how you're supposed to look. My father worked out all the time. Um, and he was a chronic yo-yo dieter. He would join Weight Watchers every couple of years if he felt like his weight got too high and do it and lose the weight and then try to maintain it. And then if he got puffy again, he'd do it again. My mom wouldn't do it, but my mom, well, that's not true. It's hard. It, your body doesn't actually want to change like that. And right. so- I grew up with, you know, <laughs> I got to college and I learned that tea, actually like the tea you drink, hot tea, mm-hmm. is not bitter, naturally bitter. I thought it was because my mom didn't keep sugar in the house. We only had sweet and low. And uh, sweet and low is bitter. So uh, when my friend gave me tea that was sweetened with sugar, I was like, this is good. What kind of tea is this? I've never had tea this good before not realizing I had just grown up only having, you know, artificial sweetener and, you know, as much as diet food as you possibly could throughout. My father reinforced it. He'd tell me that I wouldn't be able to, you know, find anybody who would like me if I didn't lose weight. Um, Interestingly enough, in high school, all of my friends were larger. Um, We played sports together. We were on the tennis team and the lacrosse team. So we kind of had our own coalition and there, it wasn't like, oh, you can't play because you're fat. We Nobody really said that to us. We just did what we wanted to do. And it worked out. But college, you know, I went through a lot of time actively, like, trying to be non-sexual in my appearance. I wore big t-shirts. I wore sweatpants. I, I didn't dress up in clothes that actually fit. I wasn't trying to be feminine. A lot of that had to do with the fact that when you did, it caused you to get attention that you didn't want and Mm -hmm. it was you know it felt dangerous to me so I avoided it as much as I could um my chest is large and I had instances in school where guys would you know how'd your chest get so big and just I mean it was just so violent 
mm-hmm. in a way that I was so uncomfortable with that I would immediately like, how can I neutralize this as much as I possibly can? Because I just wanted to go through and navigate the world how I wanted to navigate it, not realizing that I was actually taking parts of myself and shrinking them so that they would cause less problems for me. And that is something I'm still coming to terms with now. Um, having the only fans really has helped a lot with that because it was a an opportunity for me to sit back and say, I'm embracing my sexuality and my attractiveness in my body for me. I'm, I'm embracing my beauty for myself, not because I think it's going to attract a mate, not because I think it's going to, you know, get me something in return. I'm not bartering this necessarily, even though it's a pay site. Um, and I make people pay to get access, but it's very cheap. Um, it, that is mainly just a barrier so that I don't get the casual fat phobia okay. and racism <laughs> that tends to propagate online. <laughs> right. So, um, yeah, it was, I didn't realize how much of my, like, even now I talk about, like, I would not have started the OnlyFans if we were still having conventions because people sexualize you without your consent all the time and then when you get into communal spaces with them they want you to be aware and to acknowledge how they sexualize you and it's very uncomfortable to deal with that so in a lot of ways i i would do things that would discourage conversation i dress up like a lot of villains because then i can scowl at people and (laughs) scare them off and so now that we're home all the time, I'm like, I can be a little sexier with stuff. I can show a little bit more and it's okay because nobody has physical access to me anymore. And right. it makes a huge difference in how I choose to, you know, move throughout. But yeah, there's always a part of me that I'm taking and squishing up and kind of, you know, s- silencing a little bit because of the harm that is so casually inflicted upon you simply for existing. And it sucks. That it's terrible. Suck. Um, but yeah, in college, I didn't date. I did, you were the t- I was the type of person where you had to tell me like very explicitly you wanted to to see me and go out with me. And usually if I was interested in somebody, I was I would pursue them until they were like, no. Um <laughs> and I didn't actually have my first like halfway serious relationship until I was 28. Okay. Like never had boyfriends, never really. And I wasn't emotionally available for that anyway. I just wasn't interested in that for a very long time. I was interested in sex though. Uh, (laughs) But that, you know, that's always a really funky space anyway. And it wasn't hard to get laid. Like everyone acts like if you're fat, you can't find sex. And I'm just like, eh. Where are you looking exactly? Oh. <laughs> like the universal struggle is to find good sex, but <laughs> sex me right there. <laughs> so that wasn't really the problem. The problem was finding partners who, you know, were kind of invested in my orgasm at least as much as they were invested in theirs. So but weight doesn't really bother that. Now the relationship part with people who are funky about wanting to be seen in public with you. For a long time, I didn't want that. My father was really sick. And so from the time I was like a sophomore in college, a junior in college until, you know, 
early 30s, he had cancer and then he, he had multiple cancers and then he eventually passed away. And wow. I didn't have the emotional space to have any kind of romantic relationship with anybody. Um, Cause that's just a huge thing to have kind of looming. Um, so yeah, it just, it, my, my dating perspective was, you know, I wanted people to like me. I wanted guys to want to be with me, but I also didn't want to be in a relationship necessarily because <laughs> there's too much emotional output, but yeah. yeah, you could get laid. That wasn't an issue at all, but do people do act funny about it? I don't know. And I'm also somebody who I reflect the energy I get to, you know, I reflect the energy people give me back on them. And you know mm -hmm. how people are like, people are mean. And when you treat them how they treat you, <laughs> you kind of start getting a reputation. <laughs> I was not the nicest person. So yeah, I have my, my dating stuff has been very, very strange, but I did also have the internalized fat phobia that comes along with it of thinking nobody's actually going to want me because I mean, nobody's going to want to be with me long-term because I don't look good on their arm, but it also, and this is where that reflecting, and I'm not, I wasn't the best person in my 20s. Um, that also meant I didn't have to treat them with respect or kindness or anything. Yeah. I could use them like they were using me and we could just go our separate ways. So I had a whole lot of really toxic kind of stuff going on. <laughs> yeah. I would not recommend. Okay. <laughs> Thank you for that with the, the lack of a recommendation. Like, I would not recommend. Got it. Mm -hmm. Are you enjoying Fat Mermaids Make Waves? Are you planning on attending Mermagicon in August? Make sure you have a great seat at our live recording of Fat Mermaids Make Waves on Sunday, August 8th at 9.30 a.m. at Mermagicon. We are going to have a full panel of fabulous fat folk talking to you about their experience mermaiding. See you there. So, um, Tell me about OnlyFans. Like, I'm so jazzed to talk to you about OnlyFans because, like, I feel like either, well, I um, I came out of burlesque, so a lot of my friends do have an OnlyFans, um, and I'm always like, is this, is there a space for me here? I don't know. And then it's like, um, anyways, like, I just feel like there's, like, all this, like, buzz about OnlyFans, and I'm sure some people listening, you know, have been on it, but I feel like a lot of people listening, it's kind of got this, like, exciting taboo thing, like, ooh, what is that? And so, yes. OnlyFans, it's fascinating to me. So, and that, this is something I'm constantly interrogating, because it's not something I saw myself doing, but it's also something I enjoy doing. All right. So OnlyFans is highly sexualized. It doesn't have to be. When it was originally developed, it was really just if you have a huge following on social media and you want to figure out how to deliver content to people directly and not necessarily have to go through other types of channels, we have the space for you. So the okay. site itself is is actually really terrible. It's not user-friendly um it's not easy to search for people on there in fact the easiest way is to if you have somebody who has one that you like maybe look at their friend list um and see who they have listed there or um to do random searches online for people because finding people actually inside of the the website is really it's not built for that at all it is built 
for people with followings to bring their following to that platform for the type of content they want to create on that platform. Okay. So if you were somebody on and you're not really on social media and you got like 20 friends on whatever platform you are on, you're going to have a hard time getting people onto your OnlyFans. And it does take constant advertising and so forth. All of that said, you decide what you want it to be. If you want it to be you just doing cosplay, you creating stuff and doing something where you're building, you can do that and have it either be a free account or you can have somebody, you know, have the pay to get general stuff. And then what you do is you create what they call premium content, which is not accessible for everybody. And they pay extra to get this other thing that you've made. So, and it could be anything. Or you can have it if you wanted them to pay for you to stream and have conversations. Like it can be however you want it to be. Um, but it tends to skew into sex work. And that is very, very challenging if that's not what you're actually trying to do. I flirted with it. I sat back and I said, I like being more sexual. I like being more sexualized. Um, what I had issues with was that the general platforms where I have my followings started really getting conservative about what they considered to be okay content. And I say that, that's not even actually true. It's always been racist. It's always been fat phobic. You right. can have one the exact same outfit as somebody who's like a size five or six. They don't come in at some stuff comes in, whatever. Yeah, if, but somebody who comes in like a smaller size can wear the same thing. And if you, you'll get banned, you'll get blocked for having it. You'll have your content pulled because they really have, don't like fat bodies. Right. That is part of it. And so my decision to do the OnlyFans was that I was like, I started buying lingerie and I was like, this is pretty. And I just kind of want to bounce around in my lingerie a little bit. This is fun. Okay. And I immediately got called a ban on Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> like, immediately and i was like so i can't actually make this and put it on regular social media i have to figure out a way to do it in a like a different space and so i started thinking about it and i was like well only fans will let me do it um sometimes i get requests from people to do stuff that's like fetish type stuff i'm not into it i just say no i'm okay. not interested in doing custom work you can people can you don't have to. Basically, you decide what your boundaries are going to be, what it is you're going to provide, and you just vary upfront about it. And people can either opt in or opt out. And uh, they've gamified it on there. <laughs> it's not even gamified. It's a competition type thing where they tell you um, how, what percentage of um, of content creators you fall in as far as your income goes. So okay. if you look at your statement, it's like, oh, you've made more than, you know, 30% of the other content creators. You're in the top 25% of content creators on OnlyFans. And that number is insidious. That type of stuff really works. Even if your goal isn't to make money, even if your goal is not to make this into a bigger thing, you find yourself trying to figure out how can I increase my income this month? I want to move up my percentage. <laughs> so bad so not what i'm in it for but there are a lot of people who do sex work and I, doing only fans introduced me to the the to porn twitter which i did not know was a thing because i'm okay. a square i'm a i'm a full-on square um, if you say anything about having an only fans and anything on twitter then some people will start 
like following you or you'll see different types of content come up and people are having sex on there. Like there's hardcore sex on Twitter. On Twitter. On Twitter. Okay. I mean, I'm not I'm nothing's blocked out. There's I no see. stars. Wow. It I was looking at one picture and I was like, man, I don't understand why he has her whole vagina and stuff visible, but he put a little heart over her butthole. And then I looked closer and I was like, oh, that's a butt plug. Oh, well, that makes sense. I might be too square for porn Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> Did not know this was a thing. But yeah, so like, because there's so much sex work that happens with OnlyFans, you find yourself in these highly like sex work categories, even if okay. that, that's not where you meant to be, even if that's not your interest. So you have to constantly kind of gauge that and figure out where you want to fall in that. So again, it comes back to you define what it is that you want. You You explain what it is that you're doing. And then you kind of let people know that you're doing it and you, that's it. That's really it. And you can stay in your box. You can expand it. You can minimize it. It's up to you. Just communicate with people. For me, it was an opportunity to keep kind of cosplaying, but not quite cosplaying and just appreciating the beauty that is me. Um, I could continue being seen. I could be more risque than I had been in the past. I didn't have to worry about, like I said before, having to interact with people in person. If I did decide to have something with a lot of cleavage or show my stomach, um, I became more comfortable with showing my stomach. Um, what the, and I, I take all the pictures myself. I use my phone. It's all selfies. Um, okay. my, my husband was great. He went and got me a light kit and a stand and everything so that I could take better pictures. Um, and it was the first time I took pictures and I saw all the rolls in my back. And I, I was like, this is a gorgeous picture with the rolls in my back. I look mm-hmm. amazing. And being able to look at my body and all the things that I'd always been conditioned to think were bad and say, and be able to see it as beautiful, see myself as beautiful, was such a huge shift from how I thought about myself and so many other, just most of my life, um, that I have a very strong appreciation for actually doing this now. Um, because yeah, before, before I started, I would just say before 2020, I still was like, oh, let me make sure I have a course on so I'm covering this part of myself up. And now I don't I don't feel that way anymore. So it was it's been beautiful. That's awesome. So do you make money? I mean, some. Yes. Okay. yes. Yes, I do. Um, What you learn, especially if you have. Uh, any kind of site and I do not have a very large following like I think my largest platform I might have 3,000 followers um there are people who follow you who want to have more access to you Mm -hmm. and so um and they want to see you in a different way and they want to support you like these are I have people who support my OnlyFans but would never support my Patreon my Patreon is cheaper than my OnlyFans interesting it is interesting um and I mean, people who I wouldn't wouldn't expect to see, like, because a couple of them you end up knowing, and yeah, I'm like, so you you're willing to give me five dollars here, but not over here. How? How does this? But people want to see different stuff, and I'm okay with it. If that's how you want to give me money, I'm okay with that. Um, but for the most part, it is really just I get to, you know, play with makeup. I love playing with makeup. 
and I'm not a casual makeup person. I don't have on makeup right now, but I love playing with makeup and I love playing with wild colors and just going the whole gamut. And mm-hmm. so my whole hmm? super cool makeup look. I actually have like a note on like my little, we were talking earlier before we started recording that we both take notes during interviews and I have a note like to ask you about makeup. So I'm glad you're talking about makeup because you do just really cool things with makeup. Well, thank you. It's all made up. I don't know what I'm doing. I And I will be totally transparent. I sit there and I'm like, okay, I'm going to wear underwear that's going to be blue today. Let me pull out all the blue that I have, the blue lip stuff, the eyes, all the blue makeup I have. Now, what's going to be the accent color? I think silver and maybe what else is in there? Uh, there might be a little pink. I'll throw some pink in here too. And then I just literally start playing. My process for it is I pick out the underwear, then I go to the colors, and then I play with it until I have a look that I like. So it's not really planned at all. It's just until I finally feel like, so this looks cool. I like this. I'm going to take pictures in this now. Okay. And it keeps it. One of the great things is that it gets me offline. It's a very creative thing to do. And I have to, and I, I spend hours doing it. Like I go and it'll be half a day that I am messing around with this. And okay. it's caused me to gain different skills. I've gotten better with applying makeup, which is fun. Um, but I've also gotten better at taking selfies and I started editing photos. And if you're not using Canva for stuff, I'm going to, I don't work for them, but I highly recommend it because that, that platform is like, if you can't use Photoshop because Photoshop is too hard, Canva is like how you can do Photoshop stuff without knowing Photoshop. It removes oh, backgrounds. Oh. It adds music. It has, you know, com- what's it called? Creative Commons music on there that you can add to your stuff. You can make videos and animated things. Like, it's amazing. And so I'm not sure. A lot of people are like, you look like you're having so much fun. I love your little ads and stuff. And it's just because Canva lets me do it. <laughs> awesome. So awesome. for me. I've been using Canva wrong because I've been using Canva on and off for a couple years. And I always find it clunky, but I'm going to I'm gonna spend some time playing around on Canva. Um, They've been making steady improvement. Okay. And I didn't know you could do that photo editing stuff on it. Like I always think of it as just kind of like a template for like a flyer or something real quick. But you know, I'll, I'll it is, but now you can remove the back. Like when you can move the backgrounds and actually change the lighting on some stuff. That's I'm huge. Like, yeah. Yeah. Cause I, and that stuff is actually new stuff they've added in the past year because when I first started using it, I couldn't do it. It would always crop my wings out and then mm-hmm. I'd have to go back and figure out how to put them back in. But now you can actually outline and bring stuff back in. So like it's gotten so much better over the past year. It's, it's phenomenal. So yeah, it's for me, the whole process, the whole thing around OnlyFans is just a very different way for me to be creative And it gave me a break from writing essays because I was burnt out. I burnt out in like 2018 and 2019, I was still on the go because I had things that already lined up, but I was exhausted. And so I needed to do something completely different and get out of my own head and being able to just work with my aesthetics, my outward stuff and present that in a different way gave me that outlet. Super cool. So on your OnlyFans, is it like mostly uh, lingerie, mostly cosplay, a little bit of this, a little bit of that? It is mostly lingerie. I have so much lingerie now. I love it so much. Um, <laughs> <laughs> lingerie and wigs and then okay. makeup. So that's really mostly it. Occasionally, I will do a cosplay look. What I've learned is that 
cosplay, lewd cosplay and regular cosplay are very, very different. Because if you're trying to actually look like a character, for me at least, um, I am... I have so many layers on and okay. so many different things that aren't easy to get out of. And I like to use face paint a lot. And okay. if I'm taking off clothes on there, I'm not painting my whole body. I'm, I'm really just not going to do that. So it's a very different way of dressing up. And I had to kind of adapt to that a little bit. It's not bad. It's just different. And I realized, okay, I can't, I'm just not going to do a full cosplay. I didn't do a shoot for this because it it doesn't make sense to me, at least. Um, it can. I mean, there are people who really only exclusively cosplay on there. Me, mm -hmm. I was like, no, I am beautiful. I like exploring the beauty of my body in different outfits. I'm going to focus on that. And Very so, cute. yeah. All right. My last OnlyFans question for you. Are you making enough money to keep up with your lingerie collection? Oh, no. No? Okay. <laughs> I mean, okay, so here's the hard part. Large, they come out with new stuff all the time. All the time. Has it covered what I bought already? I mean, if I stop buying, yes. Okay. The trick is to stop buying. Gotcha. <laughs> gotcha. It's hard to stop buying because they keep coming out with super cute stuff and I'm like, ooh. And I like bras that fit, so I, I tend to pay a little bit more for mine. Right, right. Um, but if I was like, oh, yeah, let's use um, Shine. Is that what, how you say the site? I call it Shein. Shein. I don't know. Yeah, if you, you use that. something different. I mean, you could get stuff on there, but that's like you could use it maybe once or twice. Right. It's not something you're going to have for years. So I could go cheaper. And that's always been the hard part. The people who are subscribed to my OnlyFans don't care about the quality of the stuff I'm doing. <laughs> but I care. Right, right, right. So there's limits. Okay. Um, That's a good question, super though. Super invasive question. Okay. And it's a two-part. It's what size bra do you wear and where do you recommend um, buying bras that fit? Because that's just an ongoing struggle for almost anybody, I feel like, above a 38D. Yes. Um, yes. Um, I never give out my bra size ever. Fair enough. <laughs> but it is out. It's past D. It's it's okay. starting to get into letters that they didn't know that they made bra sizes in. So, um, and I get my the stuff I get mostly is from Playful Promises, which um, they they just have a lot of really beautiful stuff. I'm not going to say that it's the most sturdy. It's sturdy for what I use it for, but I like most of it, I would not wear under clothing and go to work because okay. I, I I kid you not, there's a couple of things I know a titty will fall out. I, okay. okay, That's how it's designed. The titty will fall out. But for <laughs> <laughs> what I'm doing is great. It, I mean, I've gone and bounced in it and stayed inside of it and it's still holding up. Okay. I wouldn't go running. Got it. But... Yeah, for what I'm using it for, it's, it, and there's pretty colors. Oh my gosh, like just gorgeous, like goldenrod yellow, um, hot pink, metallic blue, mint green. It's just, they, they're, they're, uh, their lingerie is gorgeous. It's just gorgeous. So that's who I go to. If I, I've gotten a few things from like, um, I can't remember the name of the site, but it's like super cheap stuff. And it's okay. 
<laughs> it serves its purpose. I can never wear it out the house. It's definitely like straight up lingerie stuff. And it's not sturdy. And sometimes it's not even flattering, in my opinion. But again, what I find flattering and what people who look at me find flattering are a little bit different. So that is true. That is true. Oh. So that's a good segue. Um, what do you love about your body? Ooh, what do I love about my body? You know, I honestly really love how soft it looks. Like I look at pictures and I'm just like, I just look like squishy and just, and this is something I never would have said, but it's true. Like before I would have just said, oh, my boobs, definitely. Everyone loves my boobs. And I'm like, I mean, they are right. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate their existence. They actually are kind of a little bit of a headache sometimes, but you know, okay, they expensive, fries expensive. <laughs> um, but I do like I before I would look at my arm and just be kind of like, oh, look at all this jiggling. And I'm just like, no, it's like soft and just it's it's nice to feel. So I do I like I like the softness of it, and I love seeing that softness in my pictures. It's to me, it's just super adorable. Um, so that is my favorite thing. And I've also gained an appreciation from my butt, even though it is wide and mostly flat. <laughs> like, it's not like those butts that you see now that everybody, I don't know how they're having those butts. I, but my butt is not like that. But I'm still able to manage to get pictures of me with my butt. And I'm still trying to find the perfect cut of underwear where mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, I put this one on my butt automatically looks awesome. I'm still working that out. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, but I do. I love how soft my body looks and how it comes across in pictures. Awesome. Um, All right. I want to ask you, you called your dad Puffy. I intentionally called Society of Fat Mermaids, Society of Fat Mermaids. Um, What is your preferred word for people of size and why, if you have any thought behind that? So fat to me is fine. Um, it took a long time for me to get used to it. Well, that's not true. It's when you start dismantling what other people mean when they say fat versus when you use it yourself. Mm-hmm. And so you get better at being able to discern that. Um, and usually if it's other fat people, I say usually, that's not true. There's a lot of, a lot of fat people have a lot of internalized anti-fatness. Um, but yeah, I prefer fat because it's just a descriptor, but I also enjoy making people uncomfortable when I say it. Okay. <laughs> I love, and I do it all the time. I'm like, you know, we'll be in a talk or whatever, and I'm like, yeah, not because I'm fat. There's this whole other issue, and you watch them flinch, like, oh, and you're just like, no, nah, I'm actually fat. It's okay. Like, right. it doesn't I mean to my dentist about being fat once, and she like literally dropped to the floor like I guess whatever I said was funny but I know mostly it was just like it just completely took her by surprise and it's mm-hmm. like look lady all of me is laid up on your chair like I'm fat like you see it we're here and she like she just could not handle it I, I don't remember what I said but I do remember her like literal drop like <laughs> yeah. yeah people are so weird about that word and so now it's just fun to just throw it at people just like yes yeah, so I'm fat so this thing is going on and they and you watch them flinch and some of them be like you're not fat and I'm like I don't know what fat means for you and maybe you should think about what fat means to you because fat means to me I have a larger body I do have a high fat content on my body you can see it I am a fat woman 
and it makes them have to think about how they think of it. And so that's always, I like disrupting people's unconscious okay. bias. Okay. That's awesome. Let's see. Ooh, you mentioned before we got started recording that you just uh, made, wrote, illustrated. I don't know. You, you, you have a comic. It's your first comic. Oh, I wrote a comic. Yes. A yes. Comic. Yes. So um, I run with a lot of comic. Okay. We got to back up a little bit. I do a lot. Um, yeah. I had a, a show I would do where I would interview Black creators at conventions. And as I was doing, I did it for like two years. And I, I shifted um, about midway through. Where I said, we need to just do the Black women. And I was like, we need to do the, the brown, the dark-skinned Black women. Like, we need to start really doing that. Because um, as we were recording and I was finding people to interview, I realized in the beginning it was all men with an occasional woman. And then I realized, you know, most of the women that I was interviewing were light-skinned. And I was like, how the hell is this happening? And so as I was looking at the product, I was like, there are things that I'm missing and I'm not quite sure how I'm missing. Is it that they aren't in these spaces or is it that something in me is not noticing them in these spaces. So I was kind of challenging my own internal mm -hmm. biases. While I was doing that, um, I also had, you know, I forgot your question. Let's, let's back up because there's a reason why I went back. But <laughs> The question is about your comic. Oh, because I was interviewing all of these people, I met all these comic writers um, and illustrators. And one team is a kamikaze team. They have their comic. It is called Kamikaze. It's interesting because the team is two, a white couple and, um, and she is going to get so angry at me because I don't remember. She's Asian, but I, I, at this point, I'm not remembering where, where she, well, her family is, where her cultural background is, but none of them are black. But the okay. heroine is black. Okay. And I was interested because I was seeing, and I'm sure you noticed this shift in how media is going, that um, while we're getting more black protagonists and more things that are centered around blackness, and even some more stuff that has black women in it, we're still finding the creators are usually white people or black men and not necessarily black women. And I wanted to ask them, how did you choose this? Why did you choose this? And how does it feel? Like, how are you accounting for the fact that you don't know what it is to be Black, but you have this Black main character? Mm -hmm. And they appreciated that, me challenging them. And so uh, we maintained a relationship over the years. And then they said, do you want to write one of the short stories in our comic? Um, and we can pay you if you're interested. And I was like, I have never written a comic before. So you'd have to walk me through the entire process. And if you're okay with that, then I'll do it. And that's what happened. And it took about five weeks for me to write it. Um, okay. Just because like you can write this, if you've never done it before, it's a very difficult, not difficult, it's just different. You write the script, but you have to be able to visualize some of the things that you want to see in that script. Okay. There are going to be things, and if you write, I also write websites, and this is a part of that. There are things that messages you can convey visually so that you don't actually have to write it out. And right. so when you're doing a comic, you have to think what things can we convey through the picture, through the image, so that we don't have to say it. And what things do we actually have to say? And how is that going to work? And how are we going to draw that out on a page? And so you start learning how that 
process goes. And as the writer, you, if you're being a really like responsible writer, you actually do map all of that out before you give it to the artist. Okay. So that the artist can draw it. And then you find that there's still a lot of things that the artist has to fill in because you don't have details. Like what should the environment look like? And they have to make decisions about that. Is it daytime? Is it nighttime? How are we going to have this thing represented? So it's you have to really be ready to visualize what it is that you're writing in order to do it. But it's fun. Um, it's just a very different way of creating. And I like trying to, I am literally the person who will try anything that I don't think will kill me. Uh, <laughs> so I was, it was a really cool experience. And I'm, I'm going to do it again. I'm, I'm probably, I'm interested in doing something specifically around what this time and OnlyFans has been like. Okay. Um, because I think there was some really interesting stuff that kind of popped off and, you know, I, I think it would be interesting to just kind of talk about it. So I'm, I'm trying to pursue that project on my own. Cool. Now this comic that you did write, is it like something I can buy, something I can look up online? It's available for pre-order right now. Um, Kamikaze comic. Com and uh, I know it's like, should I, I should have had this all set up, right? I should have had this ready. I'm the, I'm the worst salesperson ever, ever. <laughs> and they haven't printed it yet because of okay. COVID. Like, so it's available for pre-order, but they haven't printed it yet. And I don't know when this episode will air, but it will, I don't know if it'll be out by then either because COVID has really wrecked shop on everybody. Yes. It's been a game changer. Kamikaze is K-A-M-I-K-A-Z-E? Yes. I'm sorry. If, I think if you put Kamikaze comic, that'll definitely pull it up. Okay. But yeah, the team, Alan and um, Carrie Tupper and Havana Gwen, they, um, yeah, we, we became friends after that interview, which was really fascinating. Cool. I'm sorry. I just confused myself. I wanted to pop up Kamikaze comic, and then I put, like, some random old thing up for a second. I was like, what is this? Uh <laughs> also, another thing I'm working on is a documentary, but we're still, we have not gotten, we're still really working on it. Working on big projects is it's big. It's very time consuming. It always takes longer than you think. But we interviewed, um, it's called The Space Between, Celebrating Black Women in Geekdom. We're going to change that name because we have actually a couple of non-binary people who participated. They present mm -hmm. as female, but they're non-binary. Um, we interviewed people who occupy these geek spaces in different ways. Um, and we really wanted to, you know, just kind of see what it meant for them and how they feel about it. And we're still developing the narrative around the documentary. I'm not sure. Do you watch documentaries? On occasion. I'm like that too. On occasion, if it's a topic that really interests me. Right, right. And there's a storytelling aspect to it where yeah. you have to decide what the narrative is going to be, but it also has to be what the participants you know, provided and how do you construct that? And we're in the process of doing that. We did a whole photo shoot with it. There's going to be a photo shoot and essay book that is going to go along with it. And, um, but creating it has, I mean, deciding that narrative is, is challenging. Again, another project I decided to do on a whim and somebody was like, I can help you with that. 
um, Keisha Stovall, he's the videographer and he also mm -hmm. is a photographer and he did, and she was like, this sounds really interesting. I want to do it. And so we've been working on this since 2019 and, okay. you know, eventually we'll have something. <laughs> that sounds super cool. Is there anything else you want to share with us? Like, I'm going to tell you now, like, I will be inviting you back to our podcast because you are fat, super fascinating and you do like so many interesting things and you have like a really cool perspective on a lot of things. Um, but is there anything else you definitely want to share with our audience? Um, right now? Oh, you know what? I am going to mention a couple of things. So people who don't usually do conventions, there have been a couple of online conventions that have happened virtual. And normally I would not say participate in these because I don't... I, I don't know about you. I really don't want to sit up on Twitch and just watch people talk for like six hours. That That is boring as hell to me. But what they've done is that they have created these virtual spaces where you have little virtual meeting spaces and okay. you can, like how we're talking here now, you can talk to other people during this time period and have exchanges and so forth. So one of them is called Virtuous Con, mm -hmm. literally like Virtuous Con. Um, and the other one is called Subsume. And these events, they're both actually, this isn't great, but they're both having events on Juneteenth this year. So okay. uh, they'll be kind of competing, even though they have, they share a lot of the same audience and guests and so forth. That said, um, the platforms are really cool because you do, you get real time interaction with people who are participating. I highly recommend you check them out. Um, and if conventions are something that have been kind of intimidating for you, because you're like, I don't know if I want to be in this space. I don't know if I want to be around all this. There's too many people. These virtual events are ways to get your feet wet to kind of see if this is even content that's interesting to you. Um, as of right now, I believe they're free. I think if they start getting more of an audience, they won't be free. But I think right now they're free for anybody who wants to participate. Um, and yeah, I highly recommend going. And because these are smaller events and they are Black-run events, they have a lot of Black indie creators. So if you're looking for Black authors, Black science fiction, Black romance, um, although it's going to skew more towards comics and sci-fi and fantasy, right. um, you will find those uh, creators there and artists. Um, yeah, and it, it's, I enjoyed it. I was surprised at how much I enjoyed uh, Virtuous Con, but I highly recommend it. So I'm just putting that out there. <laughs> That's an awesome tip. Thank you for sharing. I participated virtually in the California Mermaid Convention this summer. And um, similarly, I was kind of surprised by what a cool and just good experience it was because I was, I had some skepticism and it, mm -hmm. was, it was awesome. I was blown away. And that, that level of accessibility, I'm based outside of DC. I really wanted to bring Society of Fat Mermaids to the California Mermaid Convention, but I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to swing it. Well, then all I had to do was, you know, push a couple buttons to swing it. So that was awesome, too. Um, so um, I think we're all just, you know, over, you know, the fact that we're literally, as we're recording, everybody's kind of not celebrating, but marking the one year anniversary of our two week lockup. Um, so I think everybody's kind of just generally over it. But at least, mm -hmm. you know, about, you know, nine months ago, I was kind of enjoying the increased accessibility we had to different types of things because of things going virtual. And I hope that elements of that stick with us because it's, yes. it's really cool. 
It's it's necessary. You don't realize how many people don't have access to things until, because there's a, I mean, so Dragon Con, there's a lot of people with disabilities. There were mobile disabilities and so forth. And unfortunately, because it is a super crowded space, it is, you have to navigate a lot. There's always conflict with the wheelchairs and people who need assistance and so forth because they take up more space, whatever. And it's a, it's a terrible conflict. It's, it's oppressive for them. And um, having this virtual stuff really makes it so that people who can't even risk being out like that and trying to maneuver through that can still access the same content. It's important. It's definitely important. And yeah. I actually, if you follow any any people in the disability community online, watching their reaction to COVID is is very very different from, you know, able-bodied people's reaction, because it did show them that all the things that they have been told all of their lives were special accommodations are not actually things that can't happen. They right. can. Right. And they've been excluded just because it was easy. And I mean, it, it, and it super sucks, but it does make you realize, wow, there are so many people that we are just actively ignoring and we need to stop. So, yeah. Yeah. Also, you are super interesting. I like I spent all this time talking about me because I'm on your show. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have to reverse this, um, not in your space, but. I'm going to have to reverse this. I got to figure out how I'm going to do that, though, because you are also super interesting. And I don't think you understand how flattered I am that you were like, hey, I'd love to talk to you. And I'm like, oh, well, I'm, I'm like so thrilled to talk to you. I was so excited to talk to you. Um, and so I'm just so happy that you came here. So thank you so much. Um, what was I going to ask? Thank you. You rock. Um, yes. Um, so where can people find you? Um, I am Talon Kell, all one word on Facebook, on the old people's social media, I like to say. So <laughs> <laughs> Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Um, my website is talonkell.com. So that makes it super simple, I think. And yeah, and then my OnlyFans, which is also, you know, onlyfans.com slash Talon Kell. So I mean, I'm in those spaces, but I'm also going to be participating participating in some virtual conventions. Um, one coming up in April, at the end of April is HBCUCon. I think mm -hmm. I will be on a panel there about writing your first comic and possibly one about cosplay. I'm still on the fence about that. Um, and I will be participating in VirtuousCon and Subsume. So hopefully I will have like a speaking thing there, but I'm still deciding what kind of content I want to do. So yeah, but any of those spaces, the regular, like I said, old people's social media spaces, I'm available, accessible. I'm always posting pics. Not the same ones you'll see in OnlyFans, but I'm always posting pics. And <laughs> if you want to like go check out that OnlyFans though. Um <laughs> Like, I'm always like, it's cool, but you know, yeah, it's, it, I guess it's real. it was really just that I could not have to self-censor my body in fear of having my account completely, you know, banned. That is huge. I took a risk on TikTok and got like shadow banned and, um. And it's so it, easy. It's, it's never been the same. Um. <laughs> never been the same. I'm like, how come this video has 2 million views and this video has 27? 
Um, mm-hmm. so they are sharing it. Hopefully, it will recover. We'll see what happens. I just have to trust that you know things are the way they are, and that they'll be great no matter what. Um, can you show us your shirt? Yes, I guess I should try and stand up. Very happy to represent. Thank you. So you're rocking our hashtag Merfolk for Black Lives shirt. Um, we'll put a discount code for that shirt out with this episode. Um, so folks can look forward to that as well. It's a beautiful shirt and it's awesome and I love it. <laughs> I'm glad you like it. I am, I'm going to show y'all my belly. Hopefully not the mess that's hiding under my desk. I'm just rocking one of our logo shirts today. Um, this has been so awesome. Thank you so very much. Thank you, thank you, thank you for joining us. This has been awesome. And thank are, you. You're welcome. So, oh, I want to spell out your name for people who are listening, even though I guess if you pulled this up on some sort of stream, it's still written out. But Talyn is T A capital L Y N N Kel K E L. So if you're looking for the website, the Instagram, that is there. We will see you next time. Keep making waves in your community. And thank you again for joining us. Thank you. You're welcome.